And welcome to another edition of the Green Jet Ski Podcast. We are back in the new year. I hope you had a fabulous and safe Christmas and New Year's season with family and friends. And again, that track right there from Vincent Santamaria. And thank you again for his blessing on using Hope Dies Last. All the information on his great film score compositions at vincentsaint.com. Also back with me on the show today is my co-host, Callie Logan. Go to CallieLogan.com. By the way, she's got a brand new book coming out this year, which she's going to tell us about here in just a moment. But Callie, how are you? Happy New Year's. Happy New Year. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, new book coming out May 1st, 2024. I think the pre-order is about to hit the next two weeks. Uh, so it's called The Wallflower That Bloomed, and I'm pretty excited about it. That's very exciting, and people can check out all about it at your website, CallieLogan.com. I'm happy to be able to uh, endorse the book. People can uh, look forward to that as well. And today, we're actually going to be talking with another good friend of the show of mine, David Overholt, director over at Vader Reviews, a channel on YouTube. Uh, they're approaching, I believe, the 4,000 subscriber mark, so the channel is definitely growing here and the, uh, the just the last year, it's really since his fan film Fallen Jedi was released, it's kind of taken off and I'm pretty excited about it. So, David, welcome back to the show, my friend, and a happy new year. Thanks for having me on. Happy new year to you guys, too. Well, I know over the holiday, uh, Callie and I were going to uh, we were going to go see Rebel Moon in the theater. We didn't know that they had pulled it from most markets. We were really excited about it. And then we like, oh, we have to wait for Netflix. Saw it twice. I know, David, you've seen it twice. Callie, have you had a chance to view Rebel Moon? I've seen it once, but once. I also got to discuss it with some of my friends. So if that kind of counts as like a, a double hitter. Oh, so. it does. Yeah, okay. ab absolutely. Uh, it's getting a lot of critical response. Uh, I don't pay attention to or give credit to. I pay attention to it. Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, the critics are, are hating it. They're eating it alive. I think this is might be one of Zack Snyder's finest works. It, it, you can tell it was definitely supposed to be a Star Wars movie just on uh, just a lot of the thematic elements within it, a lot of the characters and how they're portrayed. Uh, David, what did you think? I know you had some issues at the beginning of the first viewing of the film, but that didn't dissuade you from really liking this movie. Yeah, um, I... I really like Zack Snyder's visual style because like every frame of his has almost kind of like a comic book panel composition to it. He has a good visual edge to everything he does. Um, my, my only problem with the film was just that it was kind of front loaded with some kind of objectionable things. There's just some certain type of assault that I won't mention uh, that happens like twice, like in the first, I think like, half hour to 45 minutes to the movie. So the first time I watched it, I was like, okay, well that scene's over with. And it's like, it happened again. How many more times is he going to do this? I get it. The galaxy is a mean place. You know, it's like, I, I felt like he didn't have to go that far with it. It was very um, in your face though, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I did. I did appreciate that he made it unpleasant though, rather than doing what some directors do where you can tell they're kind of like, Oh, isn't this terrible? Look at it. You know, you can tell they're kind of mm -hmm. filming it for their own jollies. But um, so I did appreciate that he made it a horrific, terrible thing, but I just wish he would have pulled it back, especially since he was trying to say it was supposed to be for like everyone to enjoy. It's like, you know, um, it's far from family friendly. So uh, once it got past that, though, I love the rest of the movie and I can't wait for part two. 
What did you think, Callie, about that? I, I know you're probably uh, remembering the part that David is talking about. And again, I think that part was pivotal, but it was for me too in your face. It was a little bit too not over dramatic, but I mean, it was just it, you you couldn't turn away from it. And it's just like it, you, it makes you squirm. Yeah, I I had a hard time with that as well. It felt very Gotham City in a way, just, you know, how in your face it was. And I think you're right. I think he did a nice job of portraying that it was not a good thing. And it, it wasn't just for like, you know, some directors, I think they so deeply actually enjoy some of the violence and some of the horror and shock that they can, and you know, put into a film for kind of that shock and awe. And I think he did a good job of, you know, that wasn't his MO, but it, that was definitely a hard point. And it was not what I was expecting from the trailer. From the trailer, that was not something I thought was going to kind of show up. And it also wasn't really in alignment with if this was supposed to be kind of in the Star Wars universe. Uh, that didn't feel quite as. Oh, my guess is it def definitely if Disney had picked this up, I don't think they would have gone there. I really don't. Yeah, I do. I do think Netflix has a lot more of a leniency with that. So I'm in total agreement with you there. Well, Rebel Moon Part 1, A Child of Fire, I thought it was outstanding. Lots of great visual flair, which I don't understand. David, you're big into special effects. Uh, you know, you like getting them right when you're doing stuff on your channel. And, of course, what George Lucas brought us all up with. Uh, they were said to be cheesy and not very effective. I thought it was exactly the opposite. I mean, I thought some of the color schemes on some of the backdrops were absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I really don't know what movie people watch that say this looked terrible um, because it's like they, they've released some behind the scenes featurettes now showing how they did some of the visual effects. Mm -hmm. And I saw people complaining about the CGI on the robot, Jimmy, but um, he was partially a guy in a suit, the head chest and like the forearms and hands were like a real guy. And he was just wearing blue sleeves and like blue pants so they could replace his legs and like kind of from the shoulder to the elbow with more robotic looking kind of stuff. So he's like, he was kind of half C-3PO, half a battle droid. He was half practical, half CG. And, uh, you know, people complaining that it was bad CGI. It's like, well, part of them was really there. So what are you going to say about it now? You know, it's kind of like, and that like that weird spider chick, she was creepy looking, but like the effects were amazing on her. I'm glad to see and, the board uh, queen back in another movie. Yep, yep. That's what she made me think of when I saw it. I was like, Instantly. okay, this is like Sheila Borg Queen. This is that's exactly. nightmare fuel if ever I've heard of it. So, so what do you? What did both of you think? I'm interested because, and I'm thinking it, when they release the four hour cut, which I know is probably coming, uh, I will definitely watch it. There'll hopefully be more of Jimmy. I, I loved uh, Sir Anthony Hopkins as the voice of the of the robot. Where do you think he stands at the end of the movie? They left it kind of up to the imagination. I'm guessing he's now like the protector of the planet. Like he's kind of moved on. Whatever programming set him on this kind of peaceful path. Hey, I'm not fighting back. I think he's had enough. What do you guys say? It's kind of hard to say because if there's sequels, I don't know where they're going to take it. So I would say, I mean, I think that's a good assumption for, I'd say for now. My My son said there's a, great possibility in his mind he likes always playing devil's advocate with me but he said well what if he's gonna malfunction and he's gonna kind of uh be more of like an independent look out for himself type of a droid well i i think 
that's a possibility, but I think what's probably going on with him is, um, you know, he had an attachment to that girl in the village, yep. uh, the water girl. And he said that she reminded him of the princess. He stopped fighting when the Royal family was killed. Yep. And then he picked up that gun and shot the one bad guy that was trying to attack her. So I think his programming might've reset and he thinks he's protecting the princess by protecting her and her village. I think that's probably going to be what happens because if you count out the characters, he becomes the seventh of the seven samurai by the yep. end of the movie. If you calculate all the characters up. And um, so I think he's probably going to be uh, protecting the village because he thinks the blonde girl is the princess and it's going to kind of reactivate his old programming. That's my guess. I don't know for sure because um, I haven't seen the next one, but uh, I'm loving that. That's what they did with it, that this was very not just influenced by Seventh Samurai, but it's kind of they're going in the exact same direction as, you know, I believe, an homage to that particular yeah. genre. I love it, David. I, I, I can't understand why people are complaining so much. I've seen so many people say like, oh, it's too much like Star Wars. It's too much like Seven Samurai. It's like, that's what it was pitched as. It was pitched as Seven Samurai in the Star Wars universe. So it's kind of like, I don't know what people thought they were going to get, really. Um, not trying to be I'm mean about it. But if like, they, I'm curious, though, in that if people are aware that it was pitched as that, and they instead thought it was going to be like a completely different storyline and fantasy world and this that and the other and so i i think they're ignorant personally but the well the weird thing is on youtube and twitter and the whole like movie sphere everybody was talking about this movie and they were talking about the influences because they were talking all about like every time Zack snyder would give a new interview people would have like five or six videos talking about it and speculating what rebel moon was going to be about and they all knew so it's kind of like it almost in a weird way, it almost feels like there's like this concerted effort to hate on the movie, almost like people are following a script. Because I watched like two or three reviews back to back out of curiosity, and people were hitting the same exact talking points almost verbatim about the movie. So it's like, I don't know if a big studio is kind of paying a lot of big influencers to hate it because they've done it before. It's almost mm -hmm. like you have a camp that loves his work, which I'm definitely in, and a camp that says no matter what he does, we won't like it just because it's Zack Snyder. And yeah. that's discouraging because the guy knows how to make great cinema. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like when you have when you have major news outlets writing reviews, calling um, his fans cultists, you know, there's kind of a an animosity there. And uh, I know some fans of different films can go overboard definitely but it's kind of like it's it seems like it's always been open season on Zack Snyder and anything he makes and it is unfortunate because um he really does make some cool stuff man of but, steel still it's still oh my goodness i if phenomenal. i if i had to say it would be one two it would be man of steel as his number one film rebel moon is a very close second for me yeah yeah i also took i kind of took the liberty of i rewatched all the original trilogy of the Star Wars over break. And then I also watched Man of Steel again as well, just to kind of like, I don't know, amp up big time with everything. And it was interesting to watch the movie in consideration with what he had done previously and basically what the inspiration was originally with, you know, George Lucas's stuff. And how did it uh, hit you, Callie, after you got done watching the, the, uh, the originals, uh, you said it was the original or, or the prequels that you watched? 
for Star Wars. We watched the original four through six. Okay, so, so after four through six and Man of Steel, obviously then have seen Rebel Moon. How, how did it hit you? It hit me in an interesting way because I think I actually felt a, a lot more of the flair of Man of Steel than I did the Star Wars influence. Interesting. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of that is I am a bit of a purist when it comes to the original three. And those just have like a really deep affection in my heart. So it's almost like you can't touch any of that. Um, right. So I have to divorce all of that in my mind when I watch something that is in kind of that new vein. I think the only thing that has been produced in the past, I will even say with the prequels, because I was like 10 when those were coming out. Um, and for me, I think it was... Um, uh, Rogue One was the only one that I actually was even kind of put into the camp of the original three and like heart and esteem. I loved Rogue One. David's going to roll his eyes here if you if you could see them. I, I loved Solo, a Star Wars story. Um, I, I'm a big prequel fan. I, I love the prequels, uh, especially if, like my kids were growing up with them. And so it gave me kind of an extra motivation to get into them. And I still think that Revenge of the Sith has one of the greatest lightsaber battles ever i know david agrees with that oh for sure i just can't stand jar jar that's my problem that's my entire problem that is the root cause of any reason i ever have any issue with him at all he just annoys the living daylights out of me well he's also the hidden sith lord you know that right i know i just i just david had had you ever heard that theory that supposedly he was supposed to be uh, revealed as the uh, hidden sith lord that that was actually in one of the earliest drafts that George Lucas had. He was trying to. Oh, uh, was it really? If he could, yeah. There, there's an old samurai film trope of a guy who he pretends he's a fool to get people off guard, but he's actually the best and most dangerous swordsman in the room. And it's like oh, he'll be funny. acting like a goofball the whole movie, but then you know, the switch gets turned on and he becomes absolutely terrifying. Um, and some of the early concept designs for Jar Jar Binks made it possible for him to turn scary and uh because he didn't look he didn't look the way he looks in the final film originally he looked a lot more dinosaurish and uh i would like i kind of wish that. they would have gone with that but you know um i know because he, he kind of has a toby flanderson flair to him you know so, and there's like that whole theory that toby flanderson was the scranton strangler in the office and i feel like jar jar has that same vibe about yeah. It's kind of funny when 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 you think about what could have been with movies, early plans, they always movies always morph so much from their original intent. But uh, George Lucas thought it was getting too complicated and he thought maybe for kids, he shouldn't have a character that is fun and likable that turns into a monster because he thought, well, then kids might not trust anybody because then they might think like, oh, what if they're secretly terrible, you know? I mean, that's good on George. I mean, that's honestly the type of filmmaking that's needed nowadays. Nobody does. Very empathetic. Man. Noah here on the Green Jet Ski Podcast. Callie Logan, my co-host with me. Go to CallieLogan.com. She's got a brand new book coming out. Check that out. Coming out in May. You can pre-order that very shortly. Our guest on today's show, David Overholt, director over at Vader Reviews. Check him out on YouTube. And they come out with great content each and every week, reviewing cinema and TV streams, and also have some original content that you're going to want to check out. We'll get to that here, actually, in just a moment. The last thing I want to touch on, a couple of things with Rebel Moon, A Child of Fire. Guys, I I thought that the villain uh, in this, 
the way that they make the the motherland and how it's formed and uh noble is just menacing and i thought that he really hit it out of the park as i thought a very dynamic instantly hated villain i mean even when he was playing the nice guy at the beginning of the film you're like there's something not right here i feel like he is what um general hux should have been in the sequel trilogy yeah like actually intimidating and menacing guy and um i found him refreshing as a villain because finally we had someone who seemed like they were a threat and nobody, if you'll notice, nobody cracked stupid jokes about him. They didn't undercut him at any point. So then it made him feel dangerous. So many movies now, all the heroes get all glib and they make fun of the bad guys. So then the audience feels like, well, if they're not scared of him, why should I be scared? Why should I be scared? Yeah. Yeah. But this movie, it didn't do that. They just, they let you hate him and they let you be scared of him. And I really like that. Do you agree, yeah, Callie? Agree. What, do you, what do you think you do? Yeah. Well, I think that's good writing. You know, and it's it's actually making the villain the villain. But I think that's true of, you know, Snyder's other works, too, because he did that in Man of Steel, where the, the villains aren't, you don't have as much empathy for them. And I I like that. That is kind of refreshing, because I feel like everything gets a little too, villains are a little too likable these days. They so. are. And, and I didn't really, I still don't think we've seen the fruition of the, the what I thought was a great line at the end of the film uh, he's getting ready to have his butt handed to him in a sling and, you know, get knocked off the platform. And he just grimaces at her and says, this is perfect. I think there's mm-hmm. something going on there that we have yet to see. And I'm really intrigued to see how that transpires into part two. Yeah. You know, it's going to sound really strange, but like just in that one moment when he was grinning with like all the blood in his mouth, happy that he was getting beaten for just a split second, I thought like, man, he could make a really menacing Joker because he has such a chiseled mm-hmm. face and like he seems totally insane. And like, that's kind of what you need at a Joker. So it's like, it was kind of a weird moment of like, man, he'd be kind of cool as Joker. But um, I really like the fight scene between him and Cora. I like Cora like all throughout the movie. She fought really cool. She's a dancer. So she has like a lot of control um, with her movements and everything. And she learned that fight choreography really cool. So I loved it. Did you like the ending scene as well, Callie? Yeah, I did. It definitely, I mean, it left me very hungry for more. And I, I tried to be careful not to watch, read any reviews and stuff on it until after. Yeah, it was, same for me. It was really hard to not get sucked in, but uh, it was much more refreshing kind of going in cold and not really knowing a thing about it. And I liked it. I mean, I was excited and intrigued for like what's next. And then it was interesting talking to one of my friends who she really loves Star Wars and, and that whole realm as well. And ironically enough, Michael Hoisman Hussman, um, is also in another one of our favorite movies. Uh, he plays a very different character in the Guernsey series, but it was cool to get kind of her two cents and, and she was really excited about it too. And so I was uh, genuinely, I was kind of shocked when I saw some of the reviews were not as glowing because I'm like, well, this was great. I'm excited about this, you know, kind of new fantasy storyline that I can enjoy. And it's it's not overdone. It's not polluted yet, you know, so. Well, hopefully it stays that way, too. And it, do you guys have favorite characters from part one? Obviously, I think we'll probably get most of them in part two, maybe a few new ones. I like Prince uh, Tarek. I, I thought he was phenomenal. And seeing the eagle creature, oh, my goodness, that thing was that sh- should have been in more of the movie. 
for me, uh, Tarek and Nemesis, the swordswoman, those two were my favorite characters the whole movie. I was really disappointed that they didn't take the griffin with them because I thought like, oh, cool, now he's going to ride this into battle against the Empire. But like, but they left him on that planet. And it was cool looking, wasn't it, David? By the Yeah, I loved it. They, they did such a good job. I think it was Wedded Digital that worked on uh, the effects with this movie. They're the guys who did all the Lord of the Rings stuff. Yep. Wedded Workshop mm. built all the armor and guns and props. So that's why all that stuff looks so cool. And, um, but yeah, I really loved that Griffin. It was so cool. And, uh, I as hope, far, and as far maybe, as CG goes, David, not to cut you off, it looked pretty good. I mean, it was, yeah, there was so much interaction between him and the creature where his fingers would go through the feathers. That stuff is not easy to do. All he had was a big, green basic shape of the creature's head to touch and he sat on this green saddle and was kind of rocked back and forth and he had to totally sell it and uh oh it was sold so, sold yeah they did a, they did an amazing job with those effects what about that you makes so much sense that lord of the rings uh company was connected in that because i kept thinking multiple times how um what's the name of the dragon and the hobbit ones that they did uh, smog, smog. Um, how it kind of had, it was not in the same style at all, but I kept thinking about that. And so that makes a lot of sense if it was the same production company. So it's hard to bounty believe. hunters. Oh, sorry. The, uh, no, I was just going to say, those, it's hard. It's hard to believe that those Lord of the Rings movies now, guys, they're 20 years old. Yeah. I'm Don't feeling old. <laughs> just turned yeah, 37. So I'm feeling old, but, uh. But yeah, the the bounty hunter guys, they did look a bit like Orakai, I will say. Um, that Very main bounty so. hunter that Kai uh, works with, um, yep. he looked like an Orakai to me. So I think that was uh, Weta Workshop added again with their prosthetics. Okay, that just makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because I kept thinking about that. And that's also very depressing because Lord of the Rings was my like high school obsession so i don't want to hear that love the hobbit even more than lord of the rings but all of it anything tolkien for for me is gold War of the rohirrim is coming out um it's either this year or next year it's a continuation well actually not a continuation it's a prequel it's going to be done by an anime studio but philippa boyens who wrote the original lord of the rings films with peter jackson she's like the producer on it and uh richard taylor um alan lee all the guys who worked on the original for from the visual side, they're doing the production design for the movie. So oh, very nice. Tell the story of Helm Hammerhand, the dude who built Helm's Deep. Oh and, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, well, sign me up because name. because the Two Towers is my favorite of the Lord of the Rings yeah. books. Oh, yeah. I, I love that whole scene where where they're just trapped in Helm's Deep is one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. That's oh, the that's best awesome. one of the best battle scenes I think I've ever seen in a movie. It's such a cool castle defense type of scene. Absolutely. It's up too. I mean, even uh, that was another, I watched only two towers um, over the Christmas break because that's my favorite of all time. But, you know, I was thinking, I was like, man, this just really continues to hold up even with just the CGI and everything else. And it's, yeah, that's insane. The thing that, that was when Gandalf ago. comes back over the hill with the army and the lights, the shining down. Oh my goodness. That was visually stunning. Yeah. It's almost it's biblical in a way is what it kind of feels like. It feels like end times kind of, you know, coming in to destroy all the wickedness kind of thing. And um, that's the feel that Peter Jackson was going for. So I think they achieved it. It was pretty cool. Oh, they did. Oh, for sure. 
Before we get to, we might be able to squeeze in. I don't know. I know Callie's got to leave here in a minute. And if you do have to bail, Callie, understand completely. Uh, so if each of you had to give a rating to uh, Rebel Moon, uh, Child of Fire, Part 1. Uh, I know, David, uh, your good friend uh, Darth Vader uh, from Vader Reviews gave it a 4 out of 5 Death Stars, which is still pretty darn good. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. Um, we can let the cat out of the bag. Um as I, I am Vader reviews, as Iron Man would say, um, I, I so we don't have to dance around that subject anymore. But yeah, I, I give it a four out of five. Um, I only knocked off one Death Star just because I wish you would have toned down the pervy stuff at the beginning. But other than yeah. that, I loved it. I would agree. Not to copy you. That was exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, same here. David's got good ideas. <laughs> so. Great minds think alike. Let's say it that way. Absolutely. We all have good ideas. Absolutely. But well, that was my exact reason too that I didn't give it five. That was like verbatim. So I'm like, but the acting, oh. the acting, the cinematography, the dialogue, it casting. was all the casting. It, I mean, that highest marks for all of those things. Well, before before we leave here, uh, I know David is working on the Vader Reviews channel, his first uh, original piece there, which is really exciting, Callie. It's called Avenger of Blood, and it is a swashbuckling movie, but it's going to be tied into the monster universe as well. David, give us uh, an update on that. And Callie, feel free to ask David any questions. Yeah. What is um, your favorite part of this project? Oh, the favorite part for me would definitely be uh, learning the sword play because I've always loved like swashbuckling movies like Zorro and old Errol Flynn movies. So my buddy uh, who actually played the Jedi in our fan film, he's he's in this one with me, too. He's playing the bad guy this time around. Um, he bought some real uh, fencing sabers. So we're we're actually fighting with real swords this time. So that's pretty exciting. Cool. Um, but I mean. Yeah, there, there's a lot that's really fun about this because I've always loved those old adventure movies from back in the 1940s. And they don't really make that stuff anymore. Pirates of the Caribbean was kind of like the last real swashbuckling films we've ever gotten. And um, so we're, we're trying to kind of do a little bit of a comeback to that because I love those kind of movies before I even knew Star Wars existed. So they have kind of a special place in my heart as far as uh, films I like to watch. And uh, we're working on the sword choreography. My friend's actually coming over later today, and we're going to swing short swords at each other's faces. So it's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Do you have all the, are all the costumes all set and ready to go, David? Uh, yes, all the costumes. We have all the costumes together, except for the costume for uh, the girl that we're going to need. We still have to find her. Um, it's not a big part, so it won't be hard to find. But um, just when we find the girl, we'll get a dress for her to wear that looks like a period piece. Cause it's set like back around like three musketeers type of time frame. So it's kind of like old school, old world costumes, anything, any excuse to wear a cape and gloves and boots, honestly. Is there um, going to be any, uh, uh, Dante Legato? I can't wait to find out more about him. Uh, but is there any also inspiration from because I was watching over the last couple of weeks, I got back into the Highlander series, which is still the original is one of my all time favorite movies from 1986. Any inspiration from there? Um, you know, I've actually never seen Highlander as crazy as that sounds. Um, I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. So 
Uh, Dante is actually, he's heavily inspired by Zorro and a little bit of Van Helsing, but just hopefully a little less cheesy than that movie ended up being, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, it'll depend on whether I can, uh, do the accent good enough. Cause I'm going to be doing uh kind of a, kind of a Spanish accent in this movie because he's supposed to be from Spain. And cause I, I looked up some stuff on Spanish, uh, rapier sword fighting, and uh, so I'm trying to influence my fighting style with that to kind of give him a whole look. Because originally I was putting together a costume to be a bad guy. So I was dressed head to toe, all in black. And then when I saw what I looked like, it was like, I almost look like a priest wearing a cape, honestly. So then I thought, oh, well, what if what if I was kind of a monster hunting priest from like this, you know, secret order? Because my buddy Micah, he loves the old Universal monster movies a lot. So I thought, you know, what if I'm sword fighting um, like Dracula? That could be kind of cool. So we're not going to go graphic and bloody with it. We're going like old school universal monsters where it's just kind of like there's a lot of fog and atmosphere, but it's nothing gory and horrific. Getting more know, creepy. Yeah, it's, it's going to be kind of like, you know, probably not even as creepy as Lord of the Rings because um, they kind of they kind of pushed the envelope a few times in that movie with uh, some of their gory looking kind of creepy images with the orcs and stuff. So this is going to be, you know, it's not intended for small children, but it's not anything that's going to be graphic or terrifying to watch. It's, it's more about the sword fighting. And I've written a story that kind of gives my guy a backstory as to why he hunts these uh, monsters. And um, so my buddy, he's got a big uh, black cape with a red interior. He's got his bangs and everything now. So he's going to put in some contacts to give him kind of like golden yellow eyes. So it's going to be kind of cool because at the beginning, uh, the vampire guy, he's dressed like a gentleman and he's not acting scary. But there's a moment where my guy kind of he kind of calls him out when he's kind of following this girl down the street late at night. And uh, I kind of step in, kind of tell him to back off, you know, and our fight ensues. And uh, we have a big, long sword duel that while we're in the middle of the fight, through like a flashback and some dialogue, you're going to learn about the character, uh, my guy, and why I do what I do. And uh, I'm really happy with it. My brother is going to be in this, too. He's going to play the guy that recruited me, another priest from this order who recruited me to hunt the dark creatures that hunt men so it's, yeah it'll it's be interesting it'll be interesting because you look at dante um looking at the still from youtube if people want to check it out there and they type in avenger of blood teaser vader reviews they can watch the minute and a half trailer there he doesn't look like the shining white knight and so i kind of like that you said well he was kind of be a bad guy first but then you, you know it's kind of developed and changed a little bit over time it'll be interesting to see those flashbacks to kind of find out why he has become who he has, he has become yeah he he has he has kind of a tragic backstory as most heroes do and um he he was never actually a villain in this particular story that's just how the kind of how the costume came together i'm i'm glad the story took a turn because we we knew we were going to do a swashbuckling film but I didn't have a story yet, so I was putting together costumes. But then when I realized I kind of looked like a Spanish priest from like about like the 16th to 17th century. Absolutely. So 
Um, so that kind of spurred this whole concept in my head and I started typing up some stuff and, uh, how we're going to do all the backgrounds is I'm building them digitally on the computer because where I live, we don't have any Gothic architecture. So it was film it in front of green screen or film in the woods. And we didn't want to do another film in the woods because we just did that with our fan film. So the visuals are going to be a lot more impressive than they were in Fallen Jedi because everywhere we are in this movie is going to be visually interesting. And I'm really looking forward to that because uh, I... Well uh, That'll be nice. You'll be able to create some new locations that are going to be completely original, and you're really going to be able to use your imagination for that. Callie, we got about yeah. three minutes left, and I want to make sure you're able to get in a final question, and then I'll let you go ahead and uh, lock out the show. So go ahead, Callie, take it away. Yeah, I just want to say I'm really excited to see this. Like, I think that's going to be really neat. I had the beautiful opportunity to get to go to Spain five years ago, and we actually went to a place that made swords. And we got to see a sword being made, and it was incredibly neat. Just, um, I, I'm just a historian at heart, and I love learning the history of different techniques and different things. And so the place that we went, they actually used olive oil, and they actually um, soaked in olive oil for a time period because it made it more, so it'll kind of like boing, you know, like it's a little bit more flexibility. But it was so neat to just hear the heart of the sword makers and what a huge part of culture that really is that doesn't really get a lot of recognition. So when you were talking, I was like, oh, that's so neat, just from like the Spanish side of things and everything else. So I love that you're putting in that effort and that like, you know, more to the storyline. He's not just a, a static character. So I think that's really cool. Yeah, a lot of that's yeah. in Highlander too. It's what makes that series so memorable. Yeah, so that's super neat. So I think the only other question I would say is just, um, do you think that you will, uh, this is a one-off, or do you think you're going to kind of have a continuation with this character uh, that you grow? Yeah, um, really, it would depend on the reception. If people really like it and they want more, you know, there's a lot of monsters that I could hunt in future installments. Um, mm -hmm. right now we just, we just want to make a really good film. So we're just, it's going to be short. It's going to be maybe 15, 20 minutes long. Um, because the last one I did that was an hour long fallen Jedi. It took me three years to complete that because I was the entire visual effects team. And this one, I have even more visual effects to do because every shot is a VFX shot. Um, so we're, we're making this one a little bit shorter, but at the moment it's kind of planned as a standalone, but if people really love it and they want to see more of this guy, you know, I can always think of a good excuse for to have another sword fight. So I'd be, I'd be totally open to it. Plenty of monsters out there, right, David? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love it. No, I think it's great. Well, thank you so much, David, for coming on and just uh, sharing your, your wisdom and your insights. It was so much more dynamic just having you here today. And so I'm very grateful. And Noah, thank you for, for being our courageous leader always. Um, but thank you guys so much for listening and for tuning into the Green Jet Ski podcast today. Um, we love hearing feedback from you. We have um, Twitter, aka X, um, that is up and running and going. We're going to get an Instagram here, but we'd love to hear from you guys. We love to hear... Um, what your thoughts are, what your your hot take is, and anything else, and anything you would like for us to cover or go, go more in depth in, um, we're always here and open to hear it. So thank you so much for tuning in today. And check it out. It's Green Jet Ski Pod on X, on Twitter, 
message us what you want to hear. And David, thanks again for coming on the show, my friend. Always a treat. Thank you guys for having me. It was good talking to you guys. Noah here for Callie Logan. Go to CallieLogan.com. Check out about her new book coming out in May. Get the pre-order. And David, may the force be with you, my friend. We will see you shortly. May the force be with you too.